Economic and trade tensions between the US and China are set to dominate the agenda for 2021. But what will it mean for the economies of the Middle East when it comes to oil, technology, and getting growth back on track after the pandemic? You're listening to the Business Extra podcast coming from the National in Abu Dhabi. I'm Mustafa Al-Rawi, Assistant Editor-in-Chief. with me is our future editor, Kelsey Warner. Hi, Kelsey. Hi, Mustafa. Happy New Year. How are you? I'm good. Happy New Year to you and to all our listeners as well. Um, So as I mentioned at the top, we're thinking this year, one of the biggest topics is going to be how the US-China sort of trade economic tensions, conflicts, probably conflict now, low-level conflict, if you like, is going to play out, what it means for the UAE, the Gulf, the Middle East itself, um, oil, technology, healthcare. Right. The, you, you name it, Small everything. factors in the uh, you know global world order, but certainly probably the number one foreign policy issue on Joe Biden's desk day one will be China and what is he going to do. On any issue that matters to the U.S. and China relationship, from pursuing a foreign policy for the middle class, including a trade and economic agenda that produces and protects American workers, our intellectual prosperity and the environment, to ensuring security and prosperity in the Indo-Pacific region, to championing human rights, we're stronger and more effective when we're flanked by nations that share our vision and the future of our world. One of the last big headlines that caught my attention as we rounded out 2020 was the fact that China is set to overtake the U.S. as the world's biggest economy in the next five to eight years. And that's a acceleration on the timeline. And we really, I think, have to sit back and think about that and think about how this will affect us here at home in the UAE. So if China is, by 2028, as the forecasters project, the world's biggest economy, it is also one of the largest uh, markets for Middle Eastern crude, hydrocarbons. It is also the producer of one and more COVID-19 vaccines. It has a number of proprietary technologies and important technological applications that people are interested in, whether it's on fintech or otherwise. Um, Obviously, China's consumer market, its outbound tourism, all these things have been immensely important for countries like the UAE, the Gulf, the Middle East for several years now. And once China takes over the U.S., assuming that the projections are correct, then does it feel like we're seeing a step change in which country is the most influential when it comes to trade and business in this region? An unseating in a new world order, really. And I want to actually ask you, you know, you're more energy-minded than I am. I tend to wear the tech hat in in this duo. Um, What to you, I mean, from a crude demand perspective, China is the biggest consumer producer of coal, but they're still a signatory in the Paris Climate Accord, which is the the U.S. is not. Biden has pledged to re-sign it day one. But from a green transition, where does China sit? And is the U.S. kind of having to make up for some lost time when Biden arrives January 20th? Energy, politics, that all has been ongoing and sort of steaming in the background as the war of words and, you know, some of the actions... And then the reality on the ground is, is that, you know, the biggest export from 
the Middle East is oil. And then we also had in the same news cycle that Iraq has signed a very unusual deal with a China, an unnamed Chinese oil company uh, to sell this year's crude exports in advance for $2 billion before they're loaded. Um, usually the payment comes in about a month after the, the oil is loaded. In this case, Iraq having its own economic and financial crisis needed the cash as soon as possible. So you have the Chinese with their liquidity, and we've seen this with their Belt and Road, um, their String of Pearls naval project, um, they, or maritime project, should, I should say. Um, they've been investing in ports, infrastructure across the region. That's not new. But if China's economic growth is the one that really is robust, and they have the most demand for crude compared to other big buyers, whether it's South Korea, Japan, or otherwise, India, let's say, if, they, if they're unable to get their economies back on track, then the, China's influence is only going to grow as a result here. And they will continue to need that oil. Now, to answer your question about green transition, what was one of the most significant moments of 2020 when it comes to that topic was when China made that commitment by 2050 to you know, significantly cut back its emissions. It looked like it was saying, we agree with all the assessments, but this is our timeline. This is our plan. Obviously, it's not as fast as everyone wants it to be, but given... China's stages of growth in their population, it, it still felt, you know, momentous. Right. There's some teeth in that commitment. I mean, speaking to the trade point, uh, your point about Iraq and the oil deal is really well taken and thinking about China as a good customer, whereas the U.S. has really become isolationist in its energy policy because it's now energy self-sufficient. So it's no longer a good customer. Um, and so when we think about that and just what sort of relationships and hearts and minds that wins over um, as they as they ink those deals. The um, other thing that I want to address is China anchors the Regional Comprehensive Economic Partnership, or RCEP. This was kind of lost in the shuffle at the end of the last year. It's a massive new trade pact. It covers 2.2 billion people in the exact countries that you just highlighted, South Korea, Japan, and Australia. Into, and so as Biden tries to marshal, you know, allies to fall in line behind the U.S., he's already lost a bit of a step in the fact that there's this massive new free trade deal that China inked in the last, you know, quarter of 2020. Um, so I think Biden faces a tough day one, and it may make it easier for the Middle East to continue to be a good vendor, a good customer of China as an alternative. Well, the Europeans are playing their hand. They've they've agreed an investment deal with the right. Chinese, um, which, according to reports, the incoming Biden administration asked them not to do yet, uh, but they went ahead and did it. Their priorities, um, you can imagine the UK post-Brexit being very keen to establish good ties with China. Um, but, you know, you have... So many spinning plates. So you have the energy transition. What does that mean ultimately for oil demand from China? We have the security questions that have been lingering, whether it's over TikTok or Huawei or, or whatever it may be. There is this ongoing friction over um, you know, how Chinese companies are treated, telecoms companies soon, maybe even oil companies, given the U.S. sanctions attitude uh, to Chinese companies. That's important. Then, then we have sort of the wider issue of the health crisis. It feels like the debate over co the coronavirus, how it started, 
as the WHO sends a team now to China to investigate, you have a lot of voices saying that somehow the Chinese were negligent or to blame for it. You feel that debate is only beginning. Mm-hmm. And so the, the tensions of between the US and China are on so many levels um, that it, it's going to be, I think, to your point, yes, countries in the Middle East might be able to find a middle way to avoid being caught by one side or the other. Um, however, I think there's going to be so much noise around it this year. And it's what a lot of people are going to be talking about. That it's actually going to be quite difficult not to make your position clear one way or the other. I'm proud of us that we actually haven't talked about 5G yet. We managed to get a few minutes in without mentioning 5G and Huawei. But I think actually 5G aside, we can look at China's digital yuan and fintech and what China's ambitions are in terms of digitizing its currency as a way of understanding the U.S. versus China debate right now and just how much further along China really is on technology development. So the thing about 5G is in terms of internet and mobile adoption in the region, so far the GCC, Saudi Arabia, and the UAE specifically are really the only ones that can kind of push the needle on that level of decision-making. There's just not enough mobile penetration, internet usage happening kind of elsewhere in the region for 5G to be kind of all that relevant or headline-grabbing for decision-makers in those countries. But something that I do think we should be paying attention to is China's digital yuan, because it actually could unseat the dollar, the U.S. dollar, as the currency of choice for international trade. So this is a big discussion of when, you know, this idea of when will the dollar be replaced. It's not to say it won't be. At some point, you know, everything changes um, without being too deeply philosophical about it. <laughs> um, but the, well, you know, it comes back to oil. So it comes back to what you, what you think about what's the world's biggest commodity going to be. When oil remains priced in dollars, it gives the dollar a huge anchor to be the global currency of choice, given how much oil is being traded, for example, is one aspect of it. If, you know, to your point, um, if, if it becomes, if the green transition means that, you know, oil becomes less of a, a factor, then that opens up a whole world of possibilities when it comes to the new currencies, particularly with fintech. But I want to come back and say, let, China seems like it has the momentum. And if it didn't have the momentum, you wouldn't have the US so worried about it. But if we actually look at things toe-to-toe, yes, five to eight years, China could overtake the US. And yes, in certain areas, like you said, digital currencies, perhaps the Chinese have an advantage. But if we look at the, the kind of big guns that the US have, and we look at Silicon Valley and the big tech companies, and you look at Google, you take Facebook, you take Apple, and all the others in that But really sector. the big four yeah. who dominate so much of the oxygen in the room always. Exactly. Yes. And so since China has the world's largest population, the second largest economy, yet search is dominated by Google. Baidu is number two, and it's a long way away number two. That doesn't mean it might, it might not come back. But you've got that, the language, the culture, um, you know, these are all factors at play. In the Middle East, if we come back here, for decades, the, the, the pivot to the US, even though they've been moving towards the East and China and India for a lot, you know, very smartly, very astutely and very, very cleverly, they've done it very, very well over the last 10 to 20 years. 
they have a, a security discussion with the U.S. about security in the region, which is very important that they that they're just not having with the Chinese and the Indians, for example. So that's always going to be there, and you see it when you, they do deals with with Boeing, they do deals with other U.S. defense contractors in this region. They're not doing deals with Chinese defense contractors, right? Um, and even when it comes to cybersecurity. Where will they be looking for that? Will it be Israel? Will it be the U.S.? Probably, more likely than than China or elsewhere. It's an interesting point, though, because when you look at the fuel and the uh, brain trust going into the UAE's AI ambitions, much of it actually is coming from China. You know, the arrival of SenseTime to Abu Dhabi shores last year, I think, was a good indicator of where allegiances lay in terms of artificial intelligence, which underpins much of, you know, our future ambitions around security and defense. Um, so it almost is a hybrid approach when you think about it in a, you know, those are definitely growth areas. Those aren't legacy brands like Lockheed Martin or Boeing. But it seems like the UAE is actually holding both, not in tension, but together, actually. Yeah, and I've, I've, we've seen it mirrored in the approach to if we come always come back to hydrocarbons and, and oil and oil and gas and the the we come back to the point that if if you look at the concessions awarded in the last couple of years in Abu Dhabi there's been room for companies from all over the world uh, US China Europe India elsewhere um, and that approach that there is enough of the cake for everybody helps with the larger discussions um, but again, it depends on how tense it gets between the U.S. and China at the top level, how much noise there is um, that, you know, if there becomes a pressure point, whether it's 5G or Huawei or something else of, of how you can diplomatically uh, move around that. But I, I also want to say that, you know, the U.S., there was Strata building, you know, the Alain manufacturing aircraft parts is making N95 masks. They're making them with Honeywell. Mm-hmm. So you know, there's there's still these these deals going on with the U.S. Mubadla's had had an incredible Mubadla investment company had an incredible 2020 in terms of activity. How many of those deals? I mean, they do a lot of deals in China. They have partners in China, but how many of those deals that they're looking at have the U.S. Silicon Valley private equity angle looking at tech? Um, and then even you know, as we have these tensions at the high level, you still have, for example, Tesla, an American company looking at selling the most number of electric vehicles in China. Right, and now manufacturing in China. Tesla vehicles now rolling off assembly lines in China. The amount of, they may soon find that they have more in common than they do different, is what I'm starting to think, actually. When you think about the fact that China, in recent months, has actually started to think about antitrust, which makes the big tech conversation not an American issue that's also being fought out in the EU. It becomes a global issue where some of the largest tech companies Tencent, Alibaba, Ant, are in the crosshairs of antitrust conversations. Um, I I think I have to acknowledge the fact that Jack Ma has gone to ground as a result. Um, We saw, you know, today, sort of the breaking news has been Jack Ma is, quote unquote, missing. We don't know what that means. There's huge speculation. But I want to talk about the fact just that antitrust is now a global issue, and it's bringing major companies, not just Google and Amazon, to the fore. And that's really interesting. We'll have to leave the discussion there. Kelsey Warner, the National's Future Editor, 
Good to be here. I'm sure we'll pick up this discussion again later in the year. No doubt. That's it for today. If you enjoyed the show, please do subscribe or leave a review. All that remains is to thank our production team, Arthur Edison and Aisha Khan, and you all for listening. Do join us again next time.